Well, thank you so much for joining us here on another week's edition of the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. Well, we should have a very exciting podcast this week. With the recent developments in college basketball and uh, the scandal, of course, involving Alistair Lurk, Patino, and Louisville, and possibly many other coaches, I thought it'd be interesting to talk to a recent Boston College player. I spoke with John Oates, who played at BC from 2004 to 2008, just to get his whole take on the, uh, the landscape of college basketball and what his experience was like at BC and what his suggestions are for the future. So it was a very interesting podcast as we discussed college basketball with former BC men's basketball player John Oates. Also, like to remind everybody, if you're a Boston College football fan, you should be a part of the largest football fan group on the campus and around the country. That's the BC Football Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. That's bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. First, we'll hear from Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Love and Pizza. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Galtieri. Happy to be back once again another week. And, you know, this is a very timely podcast we're doing this uh, this week. We're lucky enough to be joined by the BC legend himself. You know him, John Oates. Uh, played at BC 2004 to 2008. Uh, nice enough to join us here on, for the second time on the podcast. He joined back last winter talking about BC basketball. But this week we're going to focus more about the scandal in college basketball and his take on uh, you know paying athletes, what he thinks, and just the whole roundtable type discussion about college basketball as a whole. So it should be a very, very interesting podcast. So with that, let me welcome John Oates to the podcast. John, thanks so much for the time. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here, as always. Love talking with you. John's, a, you know, uh, as many people know, an alum, BC basketball, 2004 to 2008. John, let's just take it back now. I'm interested to get your take on your recruitment process to BC, and just just give us an outline of what it was like. You hear stories of recruiting across the country of being paid, you know, but just give us your impression of uh, agent. No, you hear about agents, I should should say, but give us your take on how yours process went. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty uh, especially when you're an 18 year old kid, it's a pretty intense whirlwind process because you're um, you're coming out of high school and uh, you know you walk onto these uh, these big beautiful campuses, you walk into these uh, giant arenas, um, and when it's an official visit, the coaching staff and the the basketball program at large has um, at least when I was getting recruited, I think you have 48 hours on campus where they can officially host you. And those are all like very strictly monitored by the NCAA and, 
do on the uh, on recruiting visits. Uh, BC was was always above board and, and did everything the right way. And um, uh, you know, Coach Skinner would never allow. Uh, his staff to to, go, uh, to do some of the things that you're hearing about other uh, other colleges, but I mean, you got 48 hours to really impress this person that you're trying to recruit and, and their family. Um, I think you're allowed one one guardian. So you know, my mom or my dad came with me on these trips, and so, you're hey, John, just, just John, just so, take us back to 2004. What was your yeah. trip like to BC? I mean, we so BC. I mean, we we came on the campus. Uh, you know, I was with my dad, and uh, we we toured it initially as an unofficial visit. So, uh, Coach uh, Ed Cooley and uh, Bill Cohen, uh, they were still at BC at the time, and they they gave us a tour, uh, showed us around. They showed us um, you know the the campus and dorms and the arena, and uh, took us into the locker rooms and everything. And then I came back for an official visit with my mom about three weeks later. I was recruited really late in the summer. Most guys are doing this, you know, in their junior year. I did it the summer after my senior year, and then. Like three weeks later, I was I was there for orientation, so I was super late. I think Jared Dudley and Craig Smith had very similar recruiting uh, experiences. But I mean, we came on, we did a we did a tour, we checked out the you know the, the weight facility, the the arena, the um, the schools. They took us out to a beautiful dinner. Um, you know, I, I went out with some of the guys and uh, that were on campus and uh, and and had a little fun. Um, but I mean, a lot of these uh, have a similar structure where like, you know, you're with your, whoever you're there with, you know, your guardian and, and, uh, you're, you're getting the tour of the, the library and like the facilities and everything. And then you go out to a beautiful dinner and then you go out with the team and they kind of show you like the social life aspect and, you know, maybe drink a little bit and have some fun and. Yeah, and then um, they kind of give you a little taste of what it's like to be a student there, and you know it's it's crunch time, you know, and and, and being on both sides of that, like having gone on the visits and then you know hosting guys when they come, came for visits. I mean, it's a you have forty eight hours to just make this person feel as special as possible and make them fall in love with your institution. So you so, know when you're a host, like that's that's your goal. So do you, do you did you take what other schools did you take an official visit on? Remind me. Yeah, so I went to uh, Oklahoma State, uh, Holy Cross, Colgate, and uh, St. John's, I believe. Okay, and then were there differences between like a BC and Oklahoma State? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Oklahoma State. I mean, it's it, the structure is much different. So you know the way that the school is laid out. But I mean, um, you know, we we went to a football game. I remember um, uh, they had a guy. His name was Franz Stein. He was like seven four, and he was their center, and he was my host. And uh, we went to a football game and uh, went out to this beautiful dinner. And um, they, there was like a big party after the football game. They took me there. Like so, you know. But obviously. You know, the experience at a Boston college is, is much different than the experience at, at Oklahoma State. You know, I, I liked it there. I mean, a beautiful arena. Like, I was very impressed. Like, I walked into the arena, and they had, you know, like John Oates, number 23, on the scoreboard and everything. It was, it was really cool. You know, but at the end of the day, you're, you're in Oklahoma. So, you know, it was, uh, it was very impressive. But, you know, we were uh, – it was 
it was a little different from what I had experienced growing up. And obviously, when I went to Boston College, you know, it, it was just this beautiful, regal Northeast school. Um, and uh, I really fell in love with it, you know, as soon as I, I walked on onto the grounds. I, I remember when I went there for my unofficial with my dad initially, we got in the car after, and um, and he was like, so what do you think? And I was like, I think I want to go here. I love it. Like, let's do this. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, way to play it cool. <laughs> like, way to, uh, way to have your poker face on. <laughs> That's funny, though. That's right. Yeah, but you're a kid from the Northeast, you know, Don Boston, New Jersey, so I, I can see how you would like it uh, in New England. Uh, John, then take us now. Once you get to school, just just give us your take. What's it like? What do coaches say about uh, money and spending money per diem? Just give us an inside look of what it is to be a college basketball player uh, once season school year gets going. Sure. Well, I mean, like I said, BC always did everything incredibly above board. Uh, you know, in the I believe in the eighties there were some uh, some NCAA violations. Um, so I think there were some sanctions in, like, the 80s. So I think from then on, BC really committed to making sure that they did everything that was uh, totally compliant with the NCAA and, and whatever they laid out. Um, so nothing was ever, you know, you hear these stories, and I, and I have people ask me all the time about, like, you know, oh, did you get a, like, did, you know, we were really good then. I mean, we were, you know, we were the winning, my freshman year, we were the winningest team in Big East history. I think we were, like, or, or I'm sorry, most consecutive wins in Big East history. We yeah, were, like, 20 and 0. You know, yeah, and then you know, Sweet Sixteen, my sophomore year, like we, were, we started the season at like number fourteen in the country, my junior year, so we were really good, like that, you know, for the bulk of the time I was there, and um, you know, I was, re- I was really lucky and blessed to be a part of that. So people, I think, see that and and will be like, oh, so like, did you guys, you know, did do you guys have cars? Did you have like, where'd you, did you guys have like a baller room or like, did you live off campus and? Like, no, we actually lived in, like, the crappiest dorm, like, for the bulk of my career. I was in, in Edmonds, which anyone that went to BC knows is kind of, like, the, the worst dorm on campus. <laughs> and, you know, it was the play, like, the payment that you got for uh, for going there was playing for Boston College and, you know, putting on the jersey and going out there. So any money that, like, exchange stands was, like, your per diem on a road trip, which is, like, I forget, like 30 bucks a day or something like that, you know, yeah. to eat. But it's, you know, you, your food and everything is covered on campus. So you have like a, a little card that's almost like a little credit card that recharges each day. And, uh, you know, when that's gone, it's gone. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, th- it was certainly um, super comfortable and BC took care of everything. And I was very blessed to have a, you know, a full scholarship to such an incredible school with such an amazing amenities. But like, you know, there was no. Uh, I certainly. I mean, I'm reading these things about like Louisville and uh, and and some of the other blue chip colleges, and there were certainly no like you know bags of money or prostitutes or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you, John? Did you take me back day to day? I'm trying to remember as well. Do I'm trying to remember. Uh, you know, where day to day was it tough to get by money wise at college in terms of uh, after your food ran out? Like no, I mean I, you know no, not at all. I mean it's. We, I, I think we had like thirty or forty dollars a day that we could spend on food. Um, we had, we had tr- what was called trainer table, which was like, um, you know, during season it was an athletes only little cafeteria that that was a copious amount of food. I mean, we were, we were you know, very well taken care of. I mean, we, I, I, we, 
at no point was I like, oh, well, I'm out of money. I guess I can't eat until the card recharges tomorrow. <laughs> you know, was having a, you know, every having tuition and food and board and everything taken care of um, is a it was great. And, you know, you you kind of don't really want for anything, which is which is great. But I mean, like I said, I mean there were a lot of other guys that. Um, that went to other schools that had a much different experience. But BC always did everything like really above board, um, but they always took care of their athletes, which is, you know, it was a great experience. And then, John, take us back. I remember we were sponsored by Reebok at the time. What type of, what do we get, shoes wise and shirt? Mm-hmm. What, just go into those details. So we would, we had a pretty strict system that they put in place where you, uh, you couldn't go in and just get like a new pair of shoes for every game, but we would, you would have to trade in a pair of shoes at the equipment um, department and you, before you could get a new pair. Um, so I think you'd have like three pairs at a time. But, you know, we would we would try to sneak our way around that as, as best we could. But, yeah, I mean, we had Reebok when we were there. So, I mean, I have a, a crate of, um, you know, BC-colored Iversons and, um, and other shoes that, that we got when we were there. I have, you know, my, it drives my wife crazy. I've probably 87 of the same like Boston College like dry fit shirts and things like that, and I still wear those like frequently when I'm doing yard work and stuff. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, we you know we were kind of just. I mean, gear was one of the things that you you had a copious amount of. Um, you know, we were one of Reebok's marquee schools, so they were constantly putting us in their coolest stuff. And um, I know that Under Armour does does a killer job with them now because they've they've since switched sponsorship deals at BC. But I mean, yeah, I mean, from sweatsuits to you know, uh, workout gear to game gear to you know spandex to shoes to socks. Like I mean, we were we were kind of decked out, and uh, you know, definitely one of the perks of. Uh, of being a basketball player with a, a big uh, a big shoe sponsorship. And then, John, take us back. Obviously, you can talk to other players across the country, AU circuits. Did you hear any other stories from different schools or uh, any other situations different from uh, the BC your BC experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I so I played um, like you mentioned at uh, Don Bosco Prep, which is a great uh, school in North Jersey with a, a great sports program. Um, I also play for Riverside Church, which is one of the storied, or was one of the storied um, AAU basketball programs in New York um, that was founded by Ernie Lorch back in the 70s. Uh, a lot of NBA guys played there. Uh, it was one of the main uh, tenants of AAU basketball in, in New York in those days. Um, I mean, when I was like 13, we were sponsored by Jordan. Like, so it was like, you know, it was like this absurd experience. And so a lot of the guys that I played with uh, went on to, to play at, at some, some blue chip, high level D1 colleges. Um, so I would, you know, I'd be, you know, talking to some of them and I'd be like, guys, like, I got a bag of gear. Like, I got like three pairs of Iversons. And they're like, cool, man. Uh, I, uh, like, a booster's letting me use his car for the next six months. So I got like a Range Rover. Uh, or like, Hey, like I got put in this awesome off-campus apartment. Like it's pretty crazy. Like, you know, I have, I have it all to myself, and I'm like, oh shoot, my Iversons aren't that cool. Like they're <laughs> awesome, but perspective-wise, like you know, it wasn't. Uh, you know, it, it, there were some other guys that were doing it at a much higher level, and you know, obviously, all those things were, you know, part of this bigger problem that, um, 
you know, when you play, when you're at that high level, you know, and, and you're trying to attract guys to come and, and be part of that, you know, perennial powerhouse, um, a lot of these programs will push the limits with how they compensate those guys and the experience that they allow those guys to have while they're there. Um, and and then that I think that that was kind of the that that was not that was kind of an open secret. I think everybody that has played at at that level can probably think of at least one story of uh, of a friend that played at another school or something that or something like that happened. Um, you know, I don't I didn't realize that it was you know. I, I wasn't hearing stories like, oh, yeah, we signed a $100 million thing with Adidas, and so I got a hundred grand for my parents. Like, you know, it wasn't stuff like that, but it was definitely things that, you know, weren't exactly kosher with the NCAA. Yeah, that, that's very interesting, and I'm sure it goes back even much further before you played as well, too. Sure. Yeah. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Uh, so, John, now, of course, I, I forgot to mention before, Senior Director of Digital Team at Dr. Oz. So you've transitioned really well to the working world. A lot of your friends have as well. Just talk about your teammates back then and who have, you know, who got scholarship money and then has, have done well now in the working world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said this forever, and any, you know, I, I still have to coach and, and stuff, so whenever I talk to, like, young guys that are coming up, um, you know, for instance, my, my buddy Jermaine Paul, who actually, great singer, if you haven't heard of Jermaine Paul, go listen to his stuff, he's a, uh, opened up for him as a backup singer for Alicia Keys for a long time, he won The Voice in season two, and now he's, uh, he's an old basketball dad, and he's got one, uh, one son, uh, Chris, who's, uh, playing at St. Anselm's, and uh, he's got another son, uh, Juice, who's playing at Don Bosco Prep, who's played for my old coach. And, uh, and it, you know, it's just cool to see these, like, these kids that I remember, you know, when they were little tiny babies, and now they're, like, you know, they're playing at the high school that I played at. Um, so, you know, I've been talking to them a little bit about, you know, about sports and talking to Jermaine about it and stuff, and I always say that, like, these things that you're doing right now, the stuff that you're doing at Don Bosco, like, the you know, the team that you're playing for, you know, how you approach your day, like how you approach like working together with your teammates and stuff like that. Those are habits and um, kind of parts of the foundation of who you are as a person and how you're going to approach problems for the rest of your life. So, you know, the way that, um, that I, that I approach work and the, you know, the, the way that I approach my career and, and everything is kind of starts with the, the habits that I developed playing basketball. So, you know, I think that when you play at a, you know, especially in a program like the one that Coach Skinner built that is so focused on, like, we're all part of a family, that we're all part of the same, you know, machine and, and everybody doing their role and playing their role, 
is vital to the success. No one person is more important than that. Um, that those lessons, like I think, are part of the things that will will make you successful in whatever you end up doing. So, like, you know, I, I think that I wouldn't have had the opportunities to excel in my career if I didn't kind of have that ingrained in me when I was younger and in college and stuff. So, definitely helped with my career in the you know in the in the digital space and um, in the online space. You know, I I know that a lot of guys are are coaching like Lewis Hinton is coaching now, doing a killer job. Biko's coaching. Um, you know, Sean Marshall is obviously still playing overseas and killing it. Um, but I, I was actually, I'm planning on coming up to the Duke game on December 9th with, uh, with Tyler Roach and Tyler Neville and Joe Trapani. I mean, those are all guys that um, have great careers that have kind of done the same kind of thing, leveraged the lessons that they learned um, playing and and applied it to the professional space and there are, you know it's it's kind of cool to see how everybody's um still succeeding still approaching everything the same way just doing it you know it, it, applying it to like a different space um so it's, it's interesting to see how people have scaled and uh and taken things that they've learned at bc and and transitioned into the into the old nine to fives yeah so that you took advantage of your scholarship so a lot of people would say well they you know john and everyone those are good examples of guys who uh, or success of the college system with the scholarship benefit. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, listen, getting us, I mean, you look at what Boston College is offering in a scholarship. I mean, that's an, a stupid amount of money. That's BC now, like $55,000 a year, like something like that. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, you're, you're getting, you're getting a quarter of a million dollars for sure. I mean, and it's, I mean, it's a tremendous thing to have. Um, and, uh, I certainly could have worked harder academically when I was there. I mean, there were classes that I was really passionate about and I took very seriously, but like, you know, I, um, I look back on like, oh, I, you know, I wish I, you know, focused more on this or focused more on that. But I mean, overall, like the experience that I got and everything that I learned is, um, has definitely helped me professionally and none of that would have happened without, without basketball. And I know too, you're passionate about how we stand today as well, John. So give us your take on all the money being changed hands. Where do you want the, the NCAA to go from here in uh, this current college basketball landscape? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. It's a, like, it's a, the NCAA is a weird, um, a, a weird thing that exists on two different planes. You know, on one side, you have, um, you have the amateur aspect. You know, these are amateur athletes. And it's what a lot of people love. It's what I love about March Madness. Like, I... I constantly say that March is the most wonderful time of the year because you have uh, a, you have a bunch of college athletes that are just playing for the love of the game and you know they're out there just trying to win and, and that amateur aspect is what draws a lot of people to college sports and I totally get that. On the other side March Madness is generating hundreds of millions of dollars for schools, for conferences, for television networks, for sponsors um, I mean, there was a huge class action lawsuit that I think everybody I paid with or played with got paid for once it settled uh, because we were playing in the, in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, the next year, you know, EA Sports, NCAA March Madness is coming out. And, like, you know, it doesn't say, like, oats on the back of your jersey, but there's, like, a, you know, the starting, you know, center is a 6'10", 
255-pound white dude wearing number 32 that, like, shoots three-pointers. <laughs> like, like, you know, and listen, EA Sports, like, I, I don't know if they listen to your podcast, Mike, but, like, they could have been a little more favorable with the ratings. The guy was terrible on the inside. He never dumped the ball. I always had a problem with that. Um, but, like, you know, you're, you know, so you're taking these kids that are playing and you're saying you're an amateur like you know you you are playing for the love of the game you know and if a um if a booster buys you you know dinner we're going to suspend you for a year or something like you know you cannot profit while you're here but you know you got louisville signing hundred million dollar shoe contracts and you got patino making eight million bucks a year you know you have this huge industry that's built on the backs of these guys and you know the uh, i don't pretend to have like the fix to that um but i do recognize that it's a little counterintuitive to say um these guys are amateurs like you can't accept a meal you can't like profit you, you know you can't take money you can't do anything but everybody else can like everybody else is going to, we're going to build this giant industry that generates hundreds of millions of dollars a year uh, on that. Um, and I think there's probably a way to, you know, fix this or at least compensate um, the players that are going to the upper echelons of the sport. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, football with the bowl games or it's March Madness or it's, you know, um, you know, the, like, the Frozen Four, like, you know, whatever those big money sports are, like, it seems like there's a logical way to compensate guys and girls that are generating that money without uh, sacrificing their amateurism. And, you know, something that I've thrown out there, and I don't know if, again, I don't pretend to have the fix of this. I've just thrown it out there as a possible. So my whole thing is, like, you know, if you have a, uh, a field, let's let's use um, the NCAA for example. If you have like the March Madness team, that, you know, they come in, you got 64 teams, you know, as they advance each round, they're generating more money for their college. Is there a way to take um, a portion of that money and for each person that's a member of that team, put that into a trust of sorts? And when they graduate from college with a certain GPA, and call it a 3.0 or a 3.2 or whatever, um, they're granted that trust because of that, you know, of the 64 teams, you got, what, 12, 14 people per team. How many of those people are going and making, you know, millions of dollars playing in the pros? Um, you know, how many of those are, how many of those people are going overseas and, and making a copious amount of money? Like a very small percentage. So for the for the rest of the people that are that are still contributing to that huge money making event, you know, in March Madness, um, you're putting it you're putting some money into a trust for those people that it gives them a head start when they graduate and compensates them a little bit for what they've helped build and incentivizes them to exceed further while they're at that institution by making it a minimum GPA that unlocks that trust. And I don't know if that's the fix. It's just, it seems like a logical step that doesn't sacrifice amateurism, compensates people for the the incredible business that they're helping generate, um, and, you know, incentivizes them to, you know, be the best that they can be. And um, that makes a lot of sense. Also, too, when you see, you mentioned the EA Sports game, your likeness being there, 
Uh, also, BC Bookstore, they sell basketball jerseys, the 32 yeah. on them. How do you do you feel like that money would compensate and make up for that as well, those, those benefits? I don't know. You know, it's tough. I mean, because then you're, you're talking about a specific, you know, the way that I thought about this is like, you know, it. I don't know how fair it is to, to say like, all right, well, you know, you're, like you, Jared Dudley, or you, Tyrese Rice. I'm thinking of the uh, Craig Smith, like the guys that you know were really, you know, selling jerseys in the bookstore. Um, you know, you're going to get more because we've we basically like merchandised you. We're selling your 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 jersey, and we're just not compensating you. I I don't think that that's fair, but it's also I would imagine that complicating uh, compensating things a little bit instead of it being like a blanket grant, like. You know, as you advance, like each member of the team gets gets more money, um, but it's uniform. It's it's the same amount for each person. Um, but I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's a little ridiculous. I mean, I remember, you know, I would go into the bookstore when I was there to, um, you know, to, to you know get books at the beginning of each semester. You know, and there's a there's Tyrese race jerseys all the way from like infant to like five XL. Like how much are they making on Tyrese Rice? You know how much are they making on Jared and 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 Craig and you know it's it's part of the business. I'm not saying that BC did something wrong by doing that. It's just like it, I mean these are sports that are generating copious amounts of money. And you know I think that the argument of like well you're compensated, you're on a scholarship is is a little bit flawed and a, and a little I don't know if it's purposely naive, but it's a little naive uh, because then you're saying that like you know, yeah, we're generating hundreds of millions of dollars every year as, as part of, you know, basketball or football or, you know, um, hockey, and we're being, we have the same compensation as as other sports that, that aren't generating a profit. And that gets into a whole other thing, and I don't, I don't pretend to have the answer to that either, but, like, um, it, it, it's, I do know that it's not, that, that's not exactly the, the same thing. That doesn't really make sense. And then, John, how would you balance the the Olympic-type sports uh, with that as well? They said they wanted to get paid as well. How, how would you rationalize that is, I guess, what I'm asking? Well, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a whole different thing. It's a good question. I, I don't really um, – I don't know because it's, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, that's another draw of the Olympics is that, you know, these people are out there. They're not getting paid – uh, or they are a little bit. I mean, I, I think if you win a, win a gold medal, you get paid a, a certain amount based on the country. Um, and silver, you get a certain amount. Bronze, I, you know, I, I don't know what the, the amounts are. But I think it's actually specific by country. Um, but, like, yeah, but... You know, the whole point is that this is, like, these are people that are they're amateurs, right? They're doing this for the love of the game and they're, they're, or the love of the sport, whatever that, that is. Um, and they're the best in the world. But, like, you know, we also have, like, you know, our team of like, you know, ridiculous NBA stars, for example, like going out there uh, and playing in the same Olympics that where like there are people competing in like these super niche sports that are actually truly amateurs that are paying, you know, for their own training and they're paying to get there. Um, and then you have like, you know, USA basketball going out there and just like shellacking everybody by like 87 points and like breezing to a gold medal. So I don't know. I mean, it's, um, I think that the Olympics is a little, a little bit more complicated because you, you know, you have, you actively have, you know, huge sports stars competing alongside really true amateurs that are like losing money, you know, paying out of pocket to, 
fund their own travel and their own training and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's definitely a, a much, in my opinion, a, a more difficult nut to crack because it's it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit more uh, complicated. Yeah, and in my job, my last question too: What about like a a B, like a Olympic type sport at BC, like a field hockey, where they're obviously not bringing the revenue that men's basketball or football is? Uh, do you think they should get compensated, or how how that would all play into it? Like, you I mean, know. it's it's tough because I don't want to. You know, it's I, I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, well, if you're not making money, then you know why you know why are you competing like everybody has a right to compete like and everybody has a right to like if you're great at your sport and, you, and bc has scholarships for that sport like you should be on you should be on scholarship i i get it it makes sense like and you know there's there might not be like a huge draw for some of the some of these other sports that have scholarships uh, but it doesn't make them any less worthy um i, I think that you know i think that's one of the great things about college sports um I'm just saying, like, if you do have um, sports that are, you know, whether it's every year and it's a perennial powerhouse or it just happens to be in a three-, four-, five-year period where they're having a moment where, they're, you know, the sport is going into the, the upper echelons of um, of competition, whether it's a bowl game or, like I said, the Frozen Four or March Madness, um, I think that in that instance, like, those are all things that, like, in that specific year, based on the actions that those players are taking, they're generating a copious amount of money for the university, for the sponsors, uh, you know, for everybody involved. So, like, if that happens in that year and you're a part of that, saying, like, well, you're already compensated from your scholarship and that's it just seems a little bit um, naive and it seems a, like a little bit of a cop-out. Yeah. Um, and, again, I there might somebody else that, that is... Uh, more versed than this might have a completely different opinion um, and uh, might have a better way to address this. Um, I just think that you know if there's a if there's a way to cut down on illegal recruiting, which is like this whole thing was a nuclear bomb for NCAA basketball. It just like I mean it was when I heard like all the coaches that were involved and everything right as the season was starting. Like I, I, remember, I was listening to Seth Greenberg uh, talk about it. And, and I was like, geez, like, I mean, this is unbelievable. Like, you know, um, it, you know, it, there's clearly a problem with the sport. So if you can take a step that, like, cuts down on that and doesn't make, you know, guys feel like, well, I, I got to take the, I got to take this money because this is my only chance to, like, you know, get some dough if and when I make it to the NBA, uh, I'll get paid. But, like, this is my, my one chance for now. Um if you can do that and fairly compensate people in a way that gives them a leg up when they graduate and incentivize people to work harder in the classroom and take a greater advantage of this incredible gift they've been given in, in terms of a scholarship, or not gift, of opportunity, then I think it makes sense. Uh, and I think that it's, you know, it's, it's a problem and it's been a problem in the NCAA for a long time. And, you know, it's, all, it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, um, no question about it. I mean, yeah. as you get, you, you, that's well said, John. And you know, believe it or not, we're actually out of time right now. But uh, I like I, I like your stances and your. Do you have any final thoughts, by the way, about just to kind of put a bow tie on this argument? No, I mean, it's you know, again, I'm curious to see. I mean, when you post this, I'm curious to see what people say. You know, in the comments or yep. in response to it, because I. I, I said it a couple of times, and I, uh, I I stand by it that I 
I think this makes sense. It's it it uh, looking at it at a high level and from from being a you know part of this at a at, at a, kind of the highest level you can be. I mean, they, we were, we were in the NCAA tournament three out of four years I was there. Um, it it logically makes sense to me, but I'm curious to see. Um, it's curious to see what other people think. I mean, it, I don't know um, where other people stand, but it's it seems like there's a fundamental problem, and I think that. Um, I think it needs to be addressed, and um, you know, I think there's a way to do it better. And uh, I'm curious to see what other people think. Yeah, and you know, you're a very, very good opinion to have because you, like you said, you were in the trenches. You experienced it firsthand, playing the NCAA tournament, being recruited, uh, talking to other kids in the AAU circuit. So you're a very valuable source. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, everybody, that's John Oates. Thanks so much, John, for joining us on the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Well, thanks so much to John Oates for joining us here on the podcast. It was a nice conversation to catch up with him and get his thoughts on college basketball and where we go from here. So it was a very, very interesting podcast. Many thanks to John Oates. I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a Boston College football fan, you need to be part of the BC Football Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up and get more details. Once again, thanks to Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Love and Pizza. This is Mike Galtieri signing off. We'll see you again next week.